John chapter 20. Almost finished with this great fourth gospel here. Powerful gospel. All of the gospels are powerful. All of the volumes of the book from Genesis to Revelation is powerful. It's a blessing that we have the Word of God. And I'm amazed because John, he could have brought this narrative to an end when he said, it is finished. Or with that solemn testimony, when he says in um, chapter 19, verse 35, he who has seen has testified. And he says, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. That's why he wrote this fourth gospel, that he wants everyone to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But John, once again, he gives us more details where all the other gospels end. The record of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central in the preaching of the New Testament. Also, In the book of Acts, it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says in chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, I love her, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. We know that is John, whom Jesus loved, Phileo. Not only does he love us, he's fond of us. And that's, that's a good feeling. And it seems as if she knew where Peter and John was abiding. John evidently at this time has sought after Peter. Peter has denied the Lord three times here. John goes and and finds him, and he's hanging out with Peter at this time. So Mary Magdalene knows this. She finds them, and it says, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Now, we're not sure who Mary thinks the they is, but what she's thinking, they have stolen the body of Jesus Christ. She says, and we, and we know she came with other women, the synoptic gospel speaks of. It seems that Mary got there, Magdalene got there before the other women, and evidently had arrived before them. She says, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she's under the impression that someone has stolen the body from the tomb, and we've heard those accusations before. We have to understand it's early on the first day of the week. That is Sunday. No doubt it's still dark. Once again, here is Mary Magdalene seeking a dead Jesus. She doesn't know he's going to resurrect at this time. And still she gets up early in the morning to seek after him. I find it hard, especially when fall, the weather turns and it becomes cool And then winter, when it's cold and I don't want to get out of the bed, I have to wrestle with getting out early and seeking a living Lord. But Mary is seeking a dead Jesus at this time, she thinks. Jesus says this, 
Well, the Proverbs does 817 by the Holy Spirit. He says, I love those who love me. And then he says, and those who seek me diligently will find me. That's with a true heart. When we really seek him, he will show up. And I'm blown away by her love for Jesus. We hear of Mary Magdalene about 16 times in the scripture. Ten times she's with other women. She's the first woman ever that's mentioned in that group. And then another six times the Holy Spirit mentions her by herself. We're first introduced to Mary in Luke chapter 8, where it tells us she was from the town of Magdala. And Jesus, remember, had cast out seven demons from her. I can't even imagine that. Mark chapter 16 tells us, she says that she, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first. She was the first one in history to see the resurrected Lord. I want us to understand she's not that immoral woman from Luke chapter 7. Many people think she is, especially the traditions from the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. But biblically, we have no reason to believe that Mary Magdalene is this immoral woman who came and wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair and anointed his feet. Remember, in that text, Jesus was over at Simon the leper's home. And he said, Jesus understood, he knew what Simon was thinking. And it says, he said within himself, Simon, if this man was a prophet, speaking of Jesus, he would know what manner of woman this is. We know Jesus Christ because he's God. He's not a respecter of persons. And he couldn't let this slide. And I love the way he says it in Luke chapter 7. Starting at verse 44, it says, So he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Because all evening long, Simon has been overlooking her, didn't want to give her any attention. He's better than she is, he thinks. And Jesus says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. He was supposed to do that. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, Simon. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins which are many, (laughs) are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, you think, those people who think they haven't did much, they, they can, God can look at them, should look at them, and they've earned the right to heaven. They think little of their transgressions. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Isn't that just like Jesus Christ? In the Gospels, whenever Jesus speaks of a prostitute or a harlot, go back and read it. He never mentions 
their name. Anyone who wants to come to Jesus Christ can come. There's a beautiful, merciful anonymity when Christ meets someone. He doesn't want to embarrass them. All he wants them to do, no matter what or how they've erred in life, repent of your sins and come to him. That makes me believe that Mary Magdalene is not that immoral woman in chapter 7 of the book of Luke. Jesus had given Mary her life back, and she would never, ever forget that. You know, people who never forget, I like to say that can be a blessing or a curse. There are people who never forget, and they are a hassle. They are historical. They're very good at that. They never let you live a transgression or a sin down. But Mary Magdalene, her remembrance is a blessing because she never will forget what the Lord Jesus Christ did for her, how he cast out these seven demons and turn her life right in the right way following him. She refused to forget what Jesus had done for her, and she loved him supremely because of that. David, a man after God's own heart, he would forget. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Jesus Remember, he would challenge the church at Ephesus and say, you've left, not lost, you've left your first love. You may be doing all these things, the different kinds of things in your ministry, but Jesus says there's an atrophy, there's a wilting at the root inside of you that no one else knows, but they will know if you don't repent of your sins, if you don't come back to your first love. David had to do that. But Mary doesn't. Mary comes early, just looking once again for a dead Jesus. She was there, remember, at the crucifixion. She was also there when she saw the men roll the stone over the tomb of Jesus. A, 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 a sense of hopelessness overcame her and everyone else that was there. Now, we don't know Is Mary, if she knows that the guards have come now, because this is now Saturday morning, the Jews, remember, had gone to Pilate, and he had given them a guard, and this guard was about 16 men, and they put a seal on that tomb. And anyone who tampered with that seal would pay for it with their life. If you mess with that seal and they couldn't find you, they would go, if they knew the village where you stayed, they would go there looking for you. And if they couldn't find you, they would kill every man, woman, and child in the village. So there would be no grave robbers coming to steal the body of Jesus Christ out of this tomb. That would be ludicrous, knowing this would happen. 
Mark, I mean, Matthew tells us an angel comes and removes the stone. And this is a cool angel. I, I can't wait to meet him. And then he just sits on the stone there. Like, you can't do anything about this. <laughs> I did it. I'm okay with it. Scripture says the soldiers shook like dead men, the King James says. That's, that's an interesting picture, dead men shaking. And then they don't go back to their commanding officers because when you see dead men shake, you do what they did. You go to the priest, and that's exactly where they went. The priest, we know they offered them a large sum of money. They said, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, Pilate ears, we will appease him. We'll pay him off too and make you secure. This is another disinformation campaign here. That's what they're conjuring up here. Evidently, by this time, Mary Magdalene and the other women get there after all of this has transpired. The guards are gone. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is open. Mary comes and is convinced that someone has stolen the body of Jesus Christ. That's why she runs quickly to Peter and John, knowing they would be together. And she tells them what has taken place. And this is what she says in verse 4. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple And we're going to the tomb, so they both ran together. You young bucks and buckets probably don't catch what he said. John, we have to understand, is over 90 years of age at this time. And he still thinks about running. I'm 62, and I think about running. Every time, let me tell you a quick story. Every time I go and walk on the treadmill, there's a basketball court in, in, in the gym. And I go to the window and I'm looking at these young bucks just running up and down the court, going between their legs, shooting, missing shot after shot. And I'm saying, Lord, if you would just heal my left knee, I could go out there and show them how to play. But he won't do it. That's, that's the feeling John is thinking when he says, and we ran. Oh, that's an amazing feeling there. And then he says, and the other disciple outran Peter. I can hear John saying, Lord, please let me write this. I'm not boasting, but please let me tell them that I outran Peter. And as I was thinking about this, that's no big deal. Peter is twice the age probably of John. He should be able to outrun him. But I guess Peter was supposed to be pretty fast because he lets us know he outran Peter. And it says, and came to the tomb first. And he, this he is John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there. Notice, yet he did not go in. Remember, it's becoming light now. So he just looks in and sees this linen cloth. Now, what John will do, he will will give us these progressions of words here, and they matter. How he comes, 
how John comes to the faith. In verse 5, it says, he saw. I don't have the King James. Verse 6, the King James says, he seeth, T-H. And then a more progressive word in verse 8. The King James said, the New King James says, saw again. And once again, that's more progressive. So the Holy Spirit is being very meticulous with these three words because they matter. So John gets there first and he stoops down, but he doesn't go in because if he would have went in at this time, he would have been defiled. So he just stoops down at the tomb and he notices the linen cloth lying there. John glanced at the linen cloth. And that word, the first saw, is blepo. And I'm sure he's thinking if these were grave robbers, why be so neat and tidy about it? Grave robbers would have went in, they would have to beat up 16 guards, Roman guards first. Then they would have to roll away the stone, and then they would have snatched the body and just tore the, the, the takrahim away from him. A mess is there and left. John says, no, that didn't happen even just by glancing. I understand it didn't go down like that. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came huffing and puffing, following him, and went into the tomb. Move out of the way, John. Let me go in and see what's happening. Ready, fire, aim. That's Peter's life. He goes right into the tomb. He's not worried about being defiled. And he, Peter, saw the linen cloths lying there, the same thing John saw, and their handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And I'm saying, Jesus, why would you even do that? And then I thought, he's the eldest brother. He took care of everything. So he tidied the house and did all of those things, did all of the cleaning also. And so just to show them that something is going on, because remember, before they put that takrahim around him, they bound his feet, they bound his arms, they put that cloth around his head so his jaw wouldn't open up. Jesus just folds it up and sits it to a side there. That word saw in verse 7, is theoreo. We get the word theory from. It's not glancing. It's to observe something. It's more than a glance. Peter goes in and looks, and he knows something doesn't add up here. Gears be- begin to turn in his mind's eye. What's going on? Verse 8 says, Then, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in. He says, forget it. I'll just go do my ceremonial washing. And also, and he saw, the word is Eden. It means to perceive or to understand. It is a full knowledge. John gets it. it that's why it says, and he saw and believed. This is what he saw. He saw the body that, had, that was wrapped in that takrahim. The wrappings were still there. It sort of looked like a cocoon, the shelling, the casing of the body. That's what he's looking at. But the body was gone. 
but the linen was still lying there. John sees that handkerchief rolled up on the side. John sees this scene and Edens it. It clicks. I've said before, it's like being in that math class and the teacher has the problem on the board and she has 45 to 50 minutes to get you to understand and she's writing, can't you see it? Don't you understand it? And in the last five minutes, Pastor Victor says, I get it. It clicked. Everybody else had already figured it out, but it clicks in my mind. I understand what has happened. I understand the problem. That's what John is saying. I've got it. That's why it says he believed. He is risen. Faith has come to him. And then he's, he, he shows his vulnerability here. He shows his humility here. Because anybody who was prideful would have never said what he tells us in verse 9. For as yet. And this is why he struggled. They did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Uh, I'm not, I can't phrase it that way. Uh, I don't like a know-it-all, especially nobody knows it all. People, it's good to know the scriptures. Uh, I'm learning day by day, more, by, more every day of the scriptures, but a know-it-all. I know it all. You, you could, even if you could quote the first five books, so you can quote it, you don't know it. You deeper and deeper and deeper, the scriptures will carry you. And John is so vulnerable here. He says, yet, we hadn't put it together. John says, we didn't yet understand the text here, the passage here that talked about the resurrection. That's what has them confused here. We believe seeing the evidence, and it was after that they would put the entire pictures together about the resurrection. So he says, we hadn't, had it, we hadn't figured it out yet about the resurrection, that he must rise again from the dead. Among the dead, those four, four words, ek nek run, literally rise out from among the dead. That's very important there, which is very interesting for the Jew because the Jews believed in a general resurrection. Everybody would be resurrected at one time. That's what Judaism teaches. That's what they believe. Daniel 12, 2 says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus, remember when he went on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John? They see his glory in his fullness. But Jesus doesn't tell them, don't say anything about what you've seen of my glory. He doesn't say that. This is what he says in Mark chapter 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen. Here it is. Till the Son of Man has risen from the dead, out from among the dead. That's what he said. Notice the questions the disciples asked. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning 
what the rising from the dead meant. They didn't understand it then, so how could they understand it now? They, they couldn't figure it out. Because the process that they're in now, remember this is Sunday morning, this is Easter. It wasn't called Easter at this time, but this Sunday in the biblical calendar was the feast of first fruits right after Passover. The Sunday following is first fruits on the Jewish calendar. This is when the priest would go into the holy place, not the holies of holies. He would go into the holy place and right where the curtain was there was the golden uh, uh, altar of incense. And right in front of that golden altar of incense, they would take a shock of barley or grain and he would, the priest would wave it in there speaking, Lord, I'm giving you the first fruits of the produce. Because what would happen 50 days later, what would fall? Pentecost. The in-gathering, everything, the rest of the harvest would come in. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ is our what? First fruits. The first one to do what? To resurrect from the dead that inquires uh, eternal life. There's many that's resurrected. Lazarus resurrected, or you could say resuscitated, but he had to die again. He didn't have his glorified body. He didn't have eternal life inside of him at that time. Jesus resurrects. He's the first fruits. He has eternal life, and he will distinguish that eternal life to everyone who will repent of their sins and give their life to Jesus Christ. Notice I'm harping on repeat, repenting of sins this morning because I was driving here, and I'm listening. You know what I listen to. Fox News coming up here, and I'm not going to call the pastor's name, but I'm sure you know. He's having this big uh, gathering at Yankee, maybe they had it, Yankee Stadium. This dude never mentioned one time about repenting of sins and giving your life to Jesus Christ. All he talked about, Jesus, he wants to bless you. He wants to do this for you. He wants to do that for you. I've said it before, and I will say it until he takes me home. Jesus Christ came that we might have eternal life if we repent of our sins and give our lives to him. The cross and then the crown, that's how it works. That's the way it will always work. There's no pie in the sky. You can have it all down here. If you're blessed down here with things, and the Apostle Paul says, as long as you have a roof over your head and food to eat and clothes to wear, the Lord is doing what he said he would do. All these other things are just icing on the cake, but I gave my life, and I believe my brothers and sisters here and that are watching, that are believers, we gave our lives to Jesus Christ because we are sinners. And if we do not repent of our sins, we will spend an eternity in hell. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go. I can handle by the grace of God anything that comes my way down here because I know I have an eternal home in his kingdom. That's all that matters. That's why he came. 
And so he's in there and, he, and he's waving that shock of barley because in 50 days later, the ingathering will come Pentecost. That's what it uh, symbolizes here. So remember, Jesus Christ is the first fruit. He has resurrected. When I get to heaven, I've got to ask uh, Matthew what's really going on about those. Remember, in Matthew's gospel, uh, when the veil of the curtain is, ter- uh, is torn, graves are open, and people are walking around. I've got to ask him about that one there. I don't have that one figured out yet. But after that, remember, next, the church will be raptured. Then the Jews, remember, I'm telling you this because the Jews thought everybody would be resurrected at one time, a general resurrection. Scripture says it does not work like that. That's why they're confused. Then after the church is raptured, the Old Testament saints will be raised. And in my opinion, those extra days that Daniel speaks of, those 45 extra days, I think in Daniel, he says 1,295 days. And then in Revelations, it says something like 1,345 days. Those extra days for those Old Testament saints, because Jesus will set up that millennial kingdom first. We will be there. New Testament, those days of grace, saints. We will be there when that happens. After that, here comes the Old Testament saints being raised up into the kingdom. I don't think my sweet Lord Jesus Christ would raise these Old Testament saints up into a world that's bloodbathed and battered with the seas full of blood and everything going on in the tribulation period. He's not going to do that. So he resurrects them into the kingdom because that's what every Jew wants to see. That kingdom, that thousand-year millennial reign. And then after that, that's called the first resurrection. Everything that I've just named, those two uh, prophets in Jerusalem, they will be resurrected into the first resurrection after all, everybody who goes in this category, it's a category. It's not an event. After we, the believers, are resurrected, then is the great white throne judgment. Every unbeliever will be raised to be judged eternally. They could not figure that out. They did not understand that. The ek run out from among the grave. That's what he's speaking of here. He says in verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the, disciple went, the disciples went away again to their homes, but Mary. It seems she had been back and she, she went and, and told Peter and, and John, And then she goes back to the tomb. And I believe the sequence went something like this. First, Mary goes early in the morning to the tomb. She meets the other women there. She's there before them. That's why she's shocked that the the stone is rolled away from the tomb. She runs and gets Peter and John. By this time, the other women have arrived. And they see, remember, these two men in white garments 
And the angels tells them, because they are angels, he's risen. And then he sends this group of, uh, of, of women back to tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus is risen. By that time, Peter and John comes. Peter blepos, he glanced, I mean, John blepos, he's glanced. Uh, Peter goes in and theorio, he observes. And then John goes back in, he edens. And he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. When all of that is finished, Mary Magdalene comes back to the tomb and she's there alone by herself. It says, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. She's just shedding tears. And then the Holy Spirit says, And as she wept, and if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, how these women and even men, how they weep, uh, a strong and loud wailing, that's what's happening. And she's sincere about this and what's going on. She stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white white lucos, brilliant white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And what's amazing about Mary here is how her day started out. One of the most, probably the most depressing day of her life, not knowing Within moments, it would be the most remarkable day of her life. And I thought, how often we do that sometimes. The day starts off bad. Oh, what a miserable day. Everything is going wrong. And before the day's end, many of time, everything is okay. We find out Jesus Christ is still on the throne. We find out that Jesus Christ is still faithful, and nothing we go through here will ever make him flinch. He's an all-powerful, an all-loving God, and Mary finds this out. Then they said to her, the angels, woman, why are you weeping? Every time I hear that, woman, why are you weeping? I think of Dr. Spock, Star Trek. I feel like the angels, they have no emotions, no feelings. They're just automatons almost. He told us, the master told us to say this, I'm going to say it. No feelings. And the reason I keep harping on no feelings, two verses later, Jesus will say the same thing to her. And all of the emotion of his heart will come out. Because Mary is broken at this time. One writer said, there are certain things seen only through tears. There are certain things seen only through tears. I've lost a brother. I've lost a dad. And I love them both dearly. But I can't put myself right here. But I know someone who can put themselves right there, and that's my daughter. Because my daughter, she lives day to day 
with that transplant. And while everybody else is doing well, they've gotten over their transplants, they're not taking many anti-rejection pills and all those things, Erica still takes a huge number of pills. And then she's got other things going on in her life. And, And she'll call me and she'll say, yeah, Daddy, but they told me this and they told me that, but Daddy, God is good. And I'm saying, fat girl, how, how can you say that? I'm thinking to myself. But then I go down another layer and I understand. She says, Jesus knows my days. I hope he gives me this. I hope he gives me that. But God is good. And all of her hopes and all of her dreams and the only thing that gets her up out of bed in the morning when she has all of those uh, thermal patches on her knees and on her arms and everywhere is her love for Jesus Christ and his goodness. That she's put all of her trust in the God-man. And that's what Mary is doing here. And and there are certain things seen only through tears. That's called the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm amazed with Mary. She starts to dialogue with these angels. And if you know anything about the scripture and when people see angels, what do they usually do? They usually fall prostrate on their knees or they're, 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 they're frozen in awe. And Mary does none of that. Because none of those things phase Mary. Mary. Mary wants to go beyond that. She's seeking Jesus Christ. And he has her attention. Nothing else matters. I'm amazed with her. They don't impress her. They say, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. Isaiah 53.2, a familiar passage, it says this. For he shall grow up before him, speaking of Jesus Christ, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. He's not handsome. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I think Mary Magdalene begs to differ. The, the, the man, the God-man who has cast out seven demons from her, she remembers that loving and beautiful face of Jesus Christ and how she longs to be with him. That's what's happening with Mary. She says, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, now when she had said this, She turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Somehow he's beholding her eyes. Somehow he has it where she doesn't know who he is at this moment. The first person Jesus reveals himself to once again is Mary Magdalene. And what Jesus is doing at this time, he's out collecting his purchased possession. That's why he has died and resurrected. He's out gathering people. He's he's about to gather Mary. He goes and gathers the denier, Peter. He goes a week later, and he will gather the doubter, Thomas. He's out collecting 
his purchased possession here, collecting the brokenhearted, collecting those that are hopeless. Remember Luke 24 on the road, those two guys that was on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden he appears, and he's, hey, what are you guys talking about? And then they try to get a little smart with him. Are you new? Don't you know what's going on around here? And I'm sure he just chuckled. And this is what they said. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Jesus listening to all their chatter. And he was about to go, and we know the rest of the account. They invite him in. That's what you have to do. You have to invite him in. And he came and he sat with them. And as soon as he took that bread and broke it, we know phew, he's gone. Doggone it. I should have I known. I should have known. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. But we're going to get that. That's how he works. We need to be familiar with the spiritual here. That's what he's saying. So he's out collecting. And, and I'm amazed that Jesus does this personally. He doesn't send angels to do his collecting. We know in the rapture, he's coming for us and we will meet him in the air to ever be with him forever. He comes. Jesus said to her, now he will say the same thing. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Notice he says whom, not what. Because he's speaking, he's not, he's not talking about religion here, but it's a person, it's a relationship. You need to have a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it says, she's supposing him to be the gardener. I have to give it to her. She's not wrong here. She's not wrong at all because he was a gardener first before he comes here. Because remember, in Genesis 1 and 2, John tells us all things were made... John says this in John 1, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Mary said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, listen to the pathos, listen to her heart, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away, a dead Jesus. And she says it emphatically here. She says, and as for myself, I will take him away. I will fling him over my shoulder and take him away. That's how much I love him. Jesus, he couldn't take anymore. He melts, and he finally has to reveal himself to her. Jesus said to her, Miriam, because he calls her by the Aramaic name. And it's at this point, here I am, this is me. It says, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And it's really endearing my own teacher. You taught me how to walk. You taught me how not to get angry. You taught me how to turn the other cheek. You taught me when people would talk about me and and belittle me, how it doesn't even make a difference because it's not what they think of you, Mary Magdalene. It's what I think of you. You're my own teacher. 
I love you and I miss you. That's what she's saying here. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. And it's not that you will contaminate me. He's not saying that because he will tell Thomas to touch him. In Luke's gospel, he tells them, when he, uh, uh, Luke says when he goes into that room, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me, touch me, and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So, she, so he tells Mary, don't cling to me. I'm not going to be here with you, Mary, much longer. It's expedient that I go away. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This is the last time anyone will call Jesus Christ Rabboni or Rabbi. They will call him Jesus Christ, uh, Lord Christ Jesus the Lord or Savior, but they won't say Rabboni or Rabbi any longer. So he says, don't cling to me, Mary. Things are changing. He says, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Is he talking about when he's at the, on the Mount of Olives and he ascends into the clouds? Or is he talking about speaking about a private ascension? I don't know about that yet. But he says, but go And notice what he calls us. Go to my brethren. Jesus had told them, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friend. And now he says, brethren. That's amazing because Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies, speaking of Jesus Christ, and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So he says, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And he's speaking of location here or commonality here. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, here she is, the the apostle of the apostles. And the grammar is, she continued to tell them. We're going to find out they didn't believe her, but she can't get it out of her heart. I'm telling you the truth. I spoke to him. I hugged him. He loves me. He's risen. And she had to continue to tell them over and over again that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Mark 16, 11 says, and when they heard that he was alive and had been, and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Matter of fact, Luke goes on to say that the words she was saying to the apostles, it was like idle tales. <laughs> Unbelief is something else. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, this is Roman time, the, the, the pagan calendar, the one we use. Remember, the Jewish days start in the evening when you see the first three stars in the sky. John is letting us know that hasn't happened. This is still, still Sunday evening. It's the same day. 
They are in the room. They are talking about everything that has happened to them this day. That's why it says the doors were shut, not just closed. They were secure. They were locked because they are afraid where the disciples were assembled. Remember, there's 10 of them. Thomas is not there. And they're gathered together, not just simply to speak about everything that's going on this day. But once again, it says, for fear of the Jews, they are afraid. That's why the doors are locked. They're discussing once again everything that's happened. They've seen Jesus. Peter is talking about He consoled me. He forgave me. We spoke. And everybody is, oh, I can't believe it. Y'all, yeah, Alabama did lose to Georgia. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. And all of a sudden, (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. All of a sudden, he's there. I wonder, and the the grammar doesn't, It it doesn't read that they saw him come through the wall. It seems like he just stepped out of nothing into something. All of a sudden, they're talking, and he's there. That's how it reads. All the chatter ceases. It says, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, because they are fearful, peace Unto you, peace with you. It says, peace be. The B is in italics. It shouldn't be there. In verse 21, he says, peace to you. In verse 26, he says, peace to you. I get the idea they needed peace. They were agitated. They were afraid. They were upset. Matter of fact, Luke puts it this way in Luke 24, verse 37 through 39. When he comes there, when he enters, when he shows up, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? That's what he says to us, to his children. Why are you troubled? I know things are going on in your life. Why are you troubled? Am I not still on the throne? Why are doubts in your heart? Don't you know that I love you and I care for you and I will be with you? Things might be going on that's tough, but I'm still on the throne. And I have you on my mind and everything will be all right. So, you, you waste, you're wasting time if you're a child of God and you, you're doubting that he won't be there at the specific time, the right time when you need him. You're spinning your wheels because he's, he, 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 he wants us to know all the way through the gospels, all, all the way through the epistles, I'm going to be there. He said, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw Edo. They perceived the Lord. Luke, being a doctor, and he, Luke, was amazed 
with the glorified Jesus Christ. He, he, he was a fascinated with the system, this new system that we will have. This spirit-driven system, not a blood-driven system. That's why he says, touch me and handle me and see that a spirit does not have flesh and bone. He says nothing about blood anymore. It's spirit-driven. And, and the I will move from here to another planet, not as fast as the speed of light, but as fast as the speed of thought. What a body we will have. What a body we will have. It says this, he showed them his hands and feet, but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, they still not, they're not getting. Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. He's demonstrating this new model that we will also have. It's like me, I'm always telling Anthony, I'm always telling my family, hey, you know what? I know I don't have the money, but what I would like to have is that electric F-150. And then I looked at the price of it, and I said, oh, no, no, no. Well, I will have that F-150 body one of these days. I mean, that thing is going to be amazing. It's amazing. I can't wait to have mine. Paul says this, who shall change, and Paul calls it our vile body compared to this body we will have, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Verse 21, and I'm about to close. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me apostelon to send forth with authority on a mission. That's what Jesus says. That's what his Father did. He says, I also send you. That word is pimpo, under authority. We are sent under authority, under the authority that is granted to us by Jesus Christ. If we're sent like Jesus is sent, we don't have to worry about anyone. We don't have to bear witness of ourselves. And I want you to understand this. The authority that we walk in as believers is directly related to the throne that we bow the knee to. If you want to walk in more authority, bow the knee more to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yield more to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. Submit more to the degree we bow our knee to the throne of God is the degree we will walk in the authority of God. That's what he says here. He says in verse 22, and when he has said this, He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I wonder what he means when he said that. I have a strong feeling that he meant what he said. When he said, when he breathed on them, they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came inside of them. And I know a lot of people, the the cessationalists, They don't like it because they say all of the gifts that were given to us 
ceased with the apostles. I know the Pentecostals love it because they still believe in the gifts of the Spirit like good Bible believers do believe. The gifts are still for today. But when he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit. And the problem most people have because they come in with a preconceived notion or idea, they say, okay, well, what happened after those 50 days at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And that was for power. Jesus even said, I've just breathed on you guys, paraphrasing, of course, but he said, tarry in Jerusalem. I don't want you to share with anybody. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to leave here until the promise of the Father comes. Because we can read right here, they were still afraid. They were still hiding. But Peter, after the Holy Spirit came upon them, what did he do? The same people that made fun of him and accused him, he preached. He gave the first sermon, matter of fact, and 3,000 souls were saved, all because of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. That's what Jesus is saying here. That word breathe is infuso. It's never used again in the New Testament, but it, it hit me so hard. There's an equivalent, but it's in the Old Testament. He said, Jesus says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 2, 7 says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. There's a recreation that's going on here. We are new creations in Christ when the Holy Spirit fills us, comes upon us. We are born again by his Spirit. He says this in Acts chapter 1, 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, because he stayed there 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Why was he telling them things about the kingdom of God now? Because they could understand. They were new creations in Christ. The, the carnal man can't understand the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to them. Now that they are believers, they're like sponge, sponges, and they just absorb everything he's saying. And then we'll close with verse 22. He says, if you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained now, I know the Catholic Church, they take this verse and they say they have the authority, the priest and the pope and all that foolishness. Jesus is not talking about that. I don't have the authority. You don't have the authority to remit sins or retain sins. Jesus says, I want you to go. You have the authority to go out and tell people these things if you are one of my messengers. And to be a messenger, there's three qualifiers that you have to do. He says, you need to be sent. And that's a challenge to us 
because he says this, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus is a missionary God, and that's what we should be doing. Number two, there has to be a message, and we have one, because Luke 24 tells us this, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. That's what he's commissioned us to do. And then the third one, we have authority, and that authority is to grant assurance. Assurance of what? That if you accept, if you repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ into your life, your sins will be forgiven. And you have the assurance of the word of God for that. The worship team can come up. God is good. God loves us. I want to know, are you madly in love with Jesus Christ this morning? So much that your love knows no burden. Mary Magdalene's love knew no burden. She waited on the promises of God. And that's what everyone should do here. We are united if we are believers in the body of Christ. Jesus has told us in this world, we will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've I've overcome the world. We must continue to lean on him, not lean on our own understanding, but lean on his understanding. And the understanding of what? That he's redeemed us. That he loves us. That he has your best interest at hand. And he will do whatever he needs to do to accomplish those things in our lives. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I want to love you more. I want to trust you more. I want to have that faith that no matter what is happening in my life and my brother's and sister's life, We know it's going to be okay. We know storms may come, but we know who is the author of those storms. We know who's there to keep us. We know who's on the boat asleep, and that's what he wants us to do. Nestle up close to him and say, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I trust you that I'm going to be better, a better believer in Jesus Christ, have a closer walk with Jesus Christ when I come through this storm. I will have more grace to dispense to others. I will have more love to give to others. I will have more patience with others because I'm hanging out with you and I'm learning from you. So, Father, continue to keep us in your loving hands. Continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us everything we need to draw closer to you and to be your sons and daughters that you've called us to be. And we'll be sure to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and close with the song, please.